You are listening to the Art of Play podcast. This podcast is about play, not just childhood play, all play. I'm here showing how play and creativity are a means of not just being better adults, but better, well-rounded humans. Happy Friday. We are going to continue our series of interviews from creatives uh, from a myriad of films today. And these are people who have endeavored to make a living out of their outwardly creative tendencies, even if, like today's guest, it's not what they intended to make of their lives. They're coming on to share their field, their struggle, their outlets, and most importantly, how they manage to be playful, even when it may appear as though it's their day job. Today, we have Tiffany Rosenhan, who is a newly published author and mother of four girls. She's a talented and widely read research um, research author for her imaginative books. Um, they are kind of hyper-realistic, and um, hopefully soon there will be more than one. So she de- debuted her first uh, young adult novel in July, titled Girl From Nowhere, and it's available now where books are sold. So I will link it in the show notes, but go ahead and go look for that. And um, it's for readers of all ages, I would say. Um, uh, so Tiffany is an intuitive creative and she really does manage to fit in a wide variety of mediums into her life. But what's fascinating is how she prioritizes them and and highlights them in her in her life, but also passes that along to you know those within her scope of influence. And um, I think you'll really enjoy this interview. And we'll jump right to the interview now. Today we have Tiffany Rosenhan, who is a wonderful friend of mine. She actually was my introduction into my current neighborhood. She can hold all the rights to bringing us here. And, um, and we have become really good friends over the years. And I'm so happy to have you here on the podcast today. Thank you for coming. And, um, why don't you tell us just a little snippet about just you as a person? Well, thanks for having me, Sarah. I think my identity is closely tied to being an identical twin sister which means I learned to create and compromise very early in life. (laughs) And now I have four daughters and I stay home with them typically. And Girl From Nowhere is my debut novel. Yes. So she's a writer. We're going to be talking about the creative process today. And, but really we wanted to, I wanted to start really where she came from. So, uh, just kind of, Tiffany is a very vibrant person. She loves to spread joy and beauty throughout her life. So, when it comes to living her life, it all stems back to, I imagine you were a really imaginative child. Like you took the time to <laughs> see the Absolutely. world in a different light. Absolutely. Well, thank you for the compliment. I do feel as though I've been imaginative since I was a little girl and I had parents that fostered that creativity. My mother uh, always encouraged us to play outside. That was what we could do. Rain or shine year round was play outside. And I'm not sure it's if it's because she didn't want us inside or because, you know, we got exercise outside, but she encouraged us to use our imaginations. And her philosophy was, if you have your imagination, you can never be bored. And so I remember just doing, doing nothing and everything at the same time. Mm -hmm. So we were always encouraged to play outside. And if we were indoors, my mom always had craft uh, supplies and art supplies, and we were just allowed to do whatever we wanted. There was no structure within that structure. And I'm really appreciative that she encouraged us to create. And she came from a family of creatives, I would say, and it's always been important. So So she carried it on. Yeah. She carried it on. And maybe it was subconsciously, you know, it'd be fun to get her perspective on this, but I certainly feel as though my childhood um, enabled me to have the freedom and the confidence to build and to imagine. And that being in your, lost in your own imagination was a good thing. It yes. wasn't something to criticize. And we weren't being lazy. We were being imaginative. We were being children. We were that's, being children. That's exactly yeah. what you're supposed to do. Well, and I would imagine that even through like adolescence, that mm-hmm. helps. Because if you can imagine your way out of any scenario, right. it helps you not wallow or helps you not, you know, get fixated on something inappropriate. I love that. Yeah. Yes. And, you know, we, my parents were divorced. So my sisters, I have three sisters, one of whom is my twin, obviously. And we would travel a lot visiting family and visiting relatives and oftentimes, we had a lot of time to ourselves. And when we stayed with my grandma, for example, we were told we could read, cook, embroider. So I think she called those two separate things. <laughs> <laughs> or play outside. Those were our options, period. Or read. 
Yeah, I said read. So we played outside a ton and we'd be on this huge farm property and we c- would just create stories about oh, these old buildings and so this old tractor fun. and we'd find a cubby hole in the barn that went to somewhere we probably shouldn't be and we'd create stories <laughs> around it. And so that's just been a part of my, it was a part of my childhood and my adolescence was just creating. Right, right, right. And so did you create then in, I mean like you're an artist. You also <laughs> you also love to paint and I draw, and and your girls have picked up on that too. So it's really fun to see how they kind of you know tree wrench. They sort of fork off of what well you said. started. Yes, they do, and um, and they all kind of have their unique little things <laughs> that they do, which I love. I love getting to know their personalities and kind of seeing. Oh, this is like this is where your mom took it to, right. and then you became you. You became you right. out of your imagination. And it's been really, really fun to see that. Oh, thank you. Now then, did you ever consider doing, I mean, cause your degree in college is not in art. No, it's not a creative. No, not at all. Yeah. <laughs> so did you ever consider a creative major or never? And I think my dad always encouraged us to have hard science majors. And I deviated from that with political science. I think I thought <laughs> I had the word science in it. So it was all good. <laughs> Checks the box. Deck. Checks, Checks the, the boxes. The box. <laughs> yeah. So, but the f- speaking of adolescence, I felt as though I was able to create until I kind of reached high school. And perhaps it's the structure of our public high school curriculum, but I felt stifled and I was um, just doing things to check boxes, none of which was very interesting to me. But Mm -hmm. I remember going to a, there must have been some type of university fair at my high school, Skyline High School, and the Hinckley Institute of Politics had a speaker there and they talked about diplomacy and and how that plays a role in our lives and it fascinated me and I realized that that's what I'd always been interested in gravitated toward Mm -hmm. so I quickly knew that's what I wanted to major in ideally maybe going into the foreign service or the CIA which I didn't obviously end up doing but that was what I thought would be interesting (laughs) yeah which is not a creative um it's not the creative arts. It's not the creative side well, of me, it, but it was still I mean, interesting. Many would say it's not even a creative path. Like it's not you even know, creative you're path at all. You're signing up to think for you know exactly. the way somebody else thinks. You're really. signing up to do someone else's work, and yeah. so that was. I'm glad I didn't end up going that career path, but I did do pl- political science and history. And one thing I learned to do in high school and college was to write. Period. I feel as though I was taught the construct and the structure of writing, but it wasn't until after college and I graduated that I ever creatively wrote it. I had never done it. Oh. And so despite all my creativity, my creativity, it never, it never circled back to writing. I might have a few journal entries with or some like a story, short story, a short or story somewhere, but mm-hmm. not never on my own. I was like, I'll see, I'll meet writers and I'll see writers talk about their journals from when they were children and they've got essays and beautiful stories. And I never did that. I created in different ways. So what I loved when I began to creatively write, I felt unleashed and I felt as though I'd been missing that element for so many years. Mm-hmm. And that's, and I don't know why I never gravitated toward it. I was probably just too impatient to sit and actually do the writing. <laughs> Which is Because I'm kind of I a mean, busy person. <laughs> well, and too, like you did, I mean, like it was interesting to you, the people side of your major, mm-hmm. right? You, right. You, you're a very social person. You're right. outgoing and, right. and you sort of, add to groups of friends and that was that probably took plenty of your time and so the creativity of creating new bonds with people like Mm -hmm. that's creative in and of itself oh I love in a way that's you know I mean it's creating relationships out Mm -hmm. of thin air in college you know (laughs) I mean you didn't know these people before and yeah that's an astute observation because I do feel as though not until I was alone in my house with a baby that I was forced to be alone in a lot of ways did I actually execute on writing because I, while I loved creating, sitting alone, doing something had never been something I had done. Yeah. It just, it wasn't. And you need to, oddly, writing is a very isolating process. It's, I spend many hours completely alone in a room with yeah. my paper and my laptop and it's not social and it's not, um, interactive. It's very, very lonely in a lot it's of a ways. It's a very singular It's a very singular yeah. occupation. And mm-hmm. so that was odd because that doesn't necessarily mesh with my overall personality. So I think it took me a lot of time um, to reach that point where I was competent and comfortable being a writer who wrote a lot alone. Yeah. (laughs) That was new. And I, I, again, circling back to being an identical twin, I had never spent time alone. Period. Period. I mean, because you guys were roommates. Mm -hmm. You were, I mean, we did everything together. You didn't take the exact same path, but you did, I mean. Very similar. Very, very similar. I think she was poli-sci and econ and I was poli-sci and history. So yeah, we were really like tied up together. Yeah. So 
Well, and for good reason. I mean, you make a good pair. We do. Just, thank you. you well, make she's a good pair, she's, she's like, the cook among us. So, <laughs> <laughs> hey, together you are an incredible. Together we team. make a whole person. So like, no, that's not a thing. <laughs> You're two whole people that really complement each other. Well, well. said. Well yes, said. Yes, we, yes. we joke. We joke about our like certain characteristics. Like I am terrible with directions, and of course she's brilliant at it. So. <laughs> Some stuff we're pretty sure was divided <laughs> unequally, but it's okay. It's great. It all works out because it all works out. you're rarely separate. I mean, true. right now you live two doors down from each it's other. True. So it's, it's still fantastic. It is fantastic. <laughs> Actually, for the rest of us that love, love to bask in the Logan twin sunshine. Well, thank you. We just, we all enjoy it. So it's good. Yeah, we, we won the lottery, so we feel pretty lucky. Yeah. Well, and what's interesting to me is Danielle doesn't consider herself too creative. Like she's not at all. She's no. creative in the kitchen. She mm-hmm. loves creative endeavors in different ways, but you're, you took very different creative outlooks. Well, it's like I sucked it all from her in the womb. So <laughs> I absorbed all that. She took the cookie. She took the took cookie the and art. I took the art. <laughs> just divided in half. <laughs> you take this, I'll take this. Well, and two, I mean, I think because she is creative, she has a really good eye. Right. She has, you know, I would think that there's some components that you both definitely have, mm-hmm. but I do find it interesting that you both um, sort of not really root your identity, but your identities, you can kind of tell them apart between right. those fascinations and the things that you're interested in. I and it's, it's really interesting to me to see, because you complement each other really well, you get along really well, there's, mm-hmm. there's no real discord. And then that also translates to your children. Yeah. Because both of you have four kids and your kids just kind of mesh like siblings. I mean, they, I think they know, technically they are like technically, half siblings or something, <laughs> something somewhere in there, you know, they're genetically really close together, but they, I mean, they really do kind of dovetail with each other and compliment, you know, like her kids really compliment your kids and they, right. you know, it's kind of the same strength deviation between the two. I love it's, that. It's really fascinating. So I love to see how you both though, you both came from that same creative background mm-hmm. and both of your kids are really good at imagination and they're both really good at being outside and they're, you know, like they're good at trying new things because right. they've been put in those scenarios where let's just see what you do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, stay outside and let's right. just see what you come up with or go on a ride with, with Nana, with your mom and yeah. say, you know, go on a ride and do hard things together. And they, they figure, kind figure of it just out. figure it out. And it's really fun to see them compliment each other yet be two totally separate family dynamics. It's, oh, it's a really so well fascinating. Said. Well, and I think it, what you, what I circle back to is the way my mom raised us, which is the way both my sister and I are trying to raise our kids, which is a lot of freedom and a lot of free play with, within a safe structure. But um, with my sister, I wouldn't say we're competitive at all, except for trivia. <laughs> we get very competitive <laughs> with our like, World War II trivia or like 1993 basketball <laughs> trivia. <laughs> Super useless information. Hey, um, but in general, everyone has their things. Everyone let's, has their things. Just be honest about it. But in general, I feel as though when each of us developed a skill, our instinct was to support the other in developing the skill. Yeah. And I think my, my, my mom did a very nice job of encouraging us to be each other's best friend and defender and protector yeah. and their number one fan. And I give my twin sister a lot of credit because she truly is my number one fan. Oh, and yeah, it doesn't matter if I'm completely wrong, she'll always defend me. And yeah. that's like the greatest <laughs> thing ever because um, it's, well, it's really have, special. Yeah, you, so, to feel like somebody's always on your side. Yes, always like on always, my side. Just always has your back, yes. always on your side. Right. And, and they're kind of being um, supportive. And the your choice of spouses also like compliment each other <laughs> because like I feel like they balance each other right. out. Like it's like a good team of the four of you right and together we make like a solid family unit (laughs) we all have like well you all cover like bases you know I mean like everybody wants the fun uncle everybody wants the uncle that's super like regimented that will also allow you to come with them right they all play a role yes everybody kind of plays a role and it lends to a good example to kind of the outside world of saying you know this is this is a great thing and they're there's room for all. You guys are really inclusive. And mm-hmm. it's, I mean, we joke about the FOMO, but it's actually, 
Mm. It's it's more like the fear of being left out because they know how much fun it is. Like right. they know that they want to include people they love right. in the fun. And it's fostered in that creative, imaginative world that you guys have created between the two families. I love it. I oh, love it. Thank yeah. you. Well, Obviously hopefully we can keep it up. I mean, spoken I've spoken a while for it. So. I, no, it's been, <laughs> well, thank you for saying that. And I, I do give my mom a lot of credit because we've, we've by default kind of done what we, we, we're doing what she did. And I, I'm hoping it's for the best because sometimes you see other people have a lot more structure and they supervise a lot more mm-hmm. and they offer their kids a lot more or many more extracurriculars. And I mean, I'm talking pre-COVID here, <laughs> of course, <laughs> in yes. general. Uh, and my sister and I, you know, our kids do extracurriculars, but overall, we try to really enforce free play outside. And sometimes it's easy, it's easier said than done because other people aren't always doing that. And right. you, friends, some and friends, and you feel like you may be yeah. falling behind because your kid's not doing or participating in certain requirements or certain activities, right. but. Um, I, I really think having a twin sister to do it alongside has made it all easier to say, let's just let our kids, life is hard and life is complicated and life can be really sad and tragic. And if we can provide our kids the social and mental abilities to solve problems and to ask the right questions and to compromise and, you know, be compatible with other people that they might not know mm-hmm. and get along, then I feel like I've succeeded. And yeah. I think they learn those skills by playing Yes. more than any other tool well, that and we they're can give them. extremely much more resilient than resilient, their yes. counterparts. You know, uh-huh. they build up that resilience in all areas. It's not just right. that they're resilient creatively. It's that they know how to, you know, entertain somebody new mm-hmm. or make new friends right. or, or know that their network isn't just these three people that sit together in the cafeteria. Right. They know that resiliency in all of aspects of their life is there ready for them to take right. advantage of. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Well said. Well, so then as, I mean, now I've gotten to know, I think, <laughs> I mean, my husband married your mother to her current husband. So I just like that my husband married your mother. Let's just stop there. <laughs> my husband married your mother and that's just the end of that story. But, but I, th- I feel like the Bowers have infiltrated, infiltrated. <laughs> well, the, let's clarify what Logan. Sarah means is, <laughs> is my husband performed the ceremony for Tiffany's mother to get married to right. her current and we wanted it to be special because as we told my mom you only get married for the fourth time once right of course I mean it had to be special it had to be special it had to be Jared whose lifelong dream has always been to perform the ceremony for someone and he succeeded he succeeded brilliantly (laughs) (laughs) and it was we I feel like we've infiltrated the the inner sanctum because we have like we you know we know all of your sisters and we know your dad and your mom and your stepmom and your stepdad and <laughs> it's been I don't it's one of those wonderful little encompassing community I mean it's a community in and of itself oh, I love your that. family thank you and it's it's really fun to be to sort of see and hear all of like the story you know I've heard the story of you writing essays in college you know I mean so I would say that well you were practicing creative writing skills without knowing without it. knowing a hundred percent I yeah, guess I can tell that you had story to sit down. yeah you should tell that story so in college we had blue book essays and it was all nonfiction because it was related to their political science or history and very formulaic standardized essays but you would bring a blue book and it would arrive empty. And I don't know if they still do this now. So I feel like I need to describe it's it on the computer, it's now probably in the computer. Um, but you'd bring a little, which was a little journal and you'd bring it to class and it'd be empty before your professor would look at it. And then when the exam would start, you'd have an hour or two, or however long the class was to f- write an essay on the topic and you'd be graded according to the in-class essay. So the first time I wrote an essay, I wrote it and I wrote it double space, like they said, and I reached the end and I was only halfway finished. So I turned it upside down and backwards and wrote upside down and backwards, you know, through the essay. I wrote the essay pages backward all the way through and barely finished with enough space to write the essay. (laughs) So my teacher just luckily is a good sport about it and really laughed. And of course, you know, I got an A and he was thought it was the funniest thing ever. So I, for my next exam, I brought two blue books and I filled out both blue books single spaced and so by the third time I did this I had three blue books and I'm considering why 
why am I writing so much? What is wrong with me? No one else even fills out a blue book. I'm torturing myself. Everybody and my like hands hurt. Just yeah. like torturing but I just had to make to sure that they through. understood. I'm like, no, Paul Revere didn't just write. He wrote on the cobblestone streets. And, you know, the lamps were glittering. And it's all excessively. So she had all this descriptive yes. language to these very... Like, we Formulae just need to make sure you know the material. Tiffany. I just don't know what the we're, act we're just is like 1774 is. And I'm just <laughs> describing like what they ate for dinner. Of course. Of course. Because why wouldn't you? Why, why wouldn't we want to know what they had for dinner? Exactly. <laughs> Before the famous ride. Before the famous ride of Paul Revere. <laughs> no, I think that essay ended with, and Paul Revere galloped the, along the cobblestone streets, lighting the flame of the greatest revolution in history. Or like something really, right, something really dramatic. Of course, like, something like Alexander Hamilton <laughs> yes, wrote, and it's exactly. just like your college essay test. And no the rest one, of us are just no one cares. Through. No one cares. The professor is <laughs> just like, I don't even want to read all this. And so <laughs> I had to learn how to not do that. But but little did I know, I would, that's essentially the, creative writing. Yeah, I didn't. The, I didn't associate that as creative writing. I just associated it as essay writing. Yeah, of course. Well, and. I think that it probably stems from how much reading you did as a mm-hmm. child, how much imagination you were allowed to yeah. explore, <laughs> and and how much time you actually had. Because I, I feel like that's what our kids miss most, right. is the time we got as kids. I love that. And because I don't know anybody that was, you, that had as many activities activity or even choices of activities no. as children do now and how there's only one childhood. You, you only get it once mm-hmm. and you squander that time or you're on a screen or you're not expanding that brain. Yeah. It, I mean, we don't really know if it'll show up, but I bet like it'll, it's a different thinking process. We aren't allowing them to expound on their own creative thinking process. That's very well said. I, I agree with you. I think I concur that children need more time to be, have free play and be bored and not be bored on a screen, but be yeah. bored in their own environments where they're forced to adapt and build and imagine. Yeah. Well, and I, and we need to, we need to treat that time as, as positive and essential, not, oh, it just so happened yeah. because so-and-so, you know, bailed on a play I, date yeah. or I can't stand you sitting around. Yeah. Or our Wi-Fi went yeah. out. It's, right. it's more, it, it's intentional. We need to actually create those hours and guard them and cherish them. Yeah. Well, and I think that really hit home to me with the Oliver Fund realizing like we are stealing these children's childhoods Mm there. I mean, we're just saying it's okay that you don't get a childhood and that you go right into the working, you know, at 10, 11, where I look back at me at 10 and 11. And those were some of my Right. That's like a really transitional part of childhood. And you're, you know, you're too old to be a young child, but you're too young to be an old child. And you're not, I mean, you're just in this limbo and you figure it out. Yeah. They're formative years. Yes. And I feel like we've just skipped it or we're just skimming the surface Mm -hmm. for our kids. And it's really, um, actually with COVID, I've started to realize this has been really good for us to just say, we don't need any of this. Yeah. We don't need this. And that actually was my, cause George stopped playing soccer. Oh, and so, but I was consoling myself with, oh, but he'll have time to get back into it. And then I thought, who cares if he does? It's not my life. It's not my choices. And right. he, whether he regrets it or not, that's a learning experience that I shouldn't take from him mm-hmm. because I'm feeling bad about, oh, I miss going to, you know, something where I could watch my son. It's like, okay, right. watch him swim in the pool. Watch watch him have a group of friends over, watch him do something else, something other than, you know, whatever it is that we feel like is on the list of childhood that must be accomplished. It's a fake list. Well, and by forcing those lessons of, you know, soccer and the routine and the structure you learn within a coach, it's like forcing those lessons, you're taking him from him the lessons he might learn having chosen not to join. Yes. And so we have to let things happen a little bit organically and we can't control, we can't control how our kids learn the lessons we ultimately want them to learn. Yeah. And that, that's hard as a parent because you, we do want to control. Because in my mind, it's a checklist. I, yeah. I get to check it off yeah. if you learn it. So right. I, <laughs> and you know, I love sports in a way that the kid has to follow another adult. They have to follow their coach. They they have to yes. develop discipline. Those are all Our really good things. And all, all of that. But it's good. also not the only way they can learn those skills. Right. So, yeah. 
And so, yeah, I think COVID's been really good for me in saying, okay, agree. we needed this reset. Like mm-hmm. I personally, as a parent, needed this reset. Uh-huh. Watching my kids be more relaxed, more engaged children, mm-hmm. they needed this reset. And, and maybe spend more time together as siblings. Yes. Imagine that. Imagine that. <laughs> You're born into the same family and you actually get to know these people. What is going on? And you like each other's <laughs> company. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's mm-hmm. really something. Well, and I... I laugh because Emma has been having sibling sleepovers since the beginning of COVID. I don't think she slept in her room once. (laughs) Like she just sleeps in the boys' room and they just, I mean, some of the time I have to go down and say, hey, like it's 11 o'clock. Can we all go to sleep now? She's seven. so loud that we can't actually function like this. This is not appropriate. But most of the time it's just, I mean, it's just a reawakening of a lot of things, but I feel like it's a reawakening of childhood wonder and imagination and it's I really absolutely good. love what you said it's a reawakening of childhood wonder I'm gonna repeat that it's, <laughs> it's a good one okay so now let's transition so after college you got married had a baby yes and you needed some outlet so you turned to creative writing did it was this suggested or was this like you couldn't find a book you wanted to read how did we how did you make that <laughs> jump that's like a it real kinda, jump yeah it is kind of I guess so I was I'd graduated college early. I mean, I, I was preemptively, I could say I was 20 and I was graduated college and I was married and pregnant with Savannah. And I was, I think turning one, 21 that month. And we were moving to Kentucky for my husband to enter his residency program at the mm-hmm. university of Kentucky for medicine and pediatrics at the time, which is a four year program. And I moved to Kentucky and I thought I would just enter my graduate program, but because of the way the residency works, it's a match system that you match for in March and at the end of March, and then you mm-hmm. move in June. And so based on all of the criteria for a graduate program, I didn't have the opportunity to apply because I would have had to commit to a program before we knew where Brandon was going right. for his match right. residency. So I knew either way I was taking a year off. Mm-hmm. But as soon as I got to Kentucky, I went and met with a graduate program at the International School of, I think it was, I can't remember what the exact wording was at the school now, School of International Relations, I think at the University of Kentucky, and I just, it didn't feel right. I wasn't sure who would watch my baby. I had no family. I wasn't mm-hmm. okay. And Brandon being gone many nights, and me being on nights, it just didn't feel like it was the right time. And I just felt a lot of peace knowing that there's a time and a season, and I didn't yeah. need to do that then. And I that could, wasn't I could always do it later. not your season. And right I was, then. if anything, I was just super appreciative that I'd actually graduated college. I didn't mean to graduate early. I just did. And that ended up being just a huge blessing that I was... I'd wrapped that up. I'd wrapped yeah. that chapter up and it was just very fortuitous that we moved there. And I, so I kind of had a job. I tried to have a few jobs, but I was pregnant and we were moving. And then I had Savannah and I was just home a lot alone at night because, uh, those residency. Yeah. His intern year. They, this kill was before, your I mean, will to they live. had just shift the hours to 80 hours a week, but no one followed oh. it. Um, so they limited 80 hours, but you know, they have ways around it. So it, it wasn't anywhere close to 80 hours. It was more like over a hundred plus a lot of nights and weekends. Well, most nights and weekends. And that continued for the first year. And then the second year he was um, moonlighting over in Eastern Kentucky. So, you know, people say my husband works on around the clock. I'm like, no, Brent, he really did work he around really the clock. <laughs> like go from one job to yes, another. From 12 hour shift to 12 hour shift yes. over and over and over and over and over again. And he was trying to learn these procedures because at that point he knew he wanted to do critical care mm-hmm. and he wasn't getting enough at the university hospital. So he was traveling over Kentucky to manage these ERs and, and, was to, really, learn. and to learn. He, like, he yeah, loved, to, do, he loved to be a physician. To it was really interesting. And he was all over the place. So we saw very little of each other those few those few years. And I didn't mind that. That's kind of what I expected with residency. Mm-hmm. And I know it's changed a lot since, but that's what was my experience. And I had never really fallen in love with TV, you could say. Yeah. I never and you don't need somebody to create images. Exactly. For you. It was almost yeah. like I would I'd have the TV on if I felt like nervous or I was alone at night. I'd keep the TV on or I'd have like old movies on just to have voices, but it never that never held my attention. And so I just started writing for fun on my laptop. I was writing about Savannah's birth, but it was like, uh, I just finished reading Sophie Kinsella, Confessions of a Shopaholic. (laughs) And I for sure wrote this like chiclet, just had a baby story. Uh And I read it now and it's so funny because it's so ridiculous. Like I would never publish it, (laughs) but that was the first story I wrote. And it was super therapeutic, wildly entertaining to myself because I basically 
created characters that clearly reflected my sisters, but I didn't think they would figure it out that they were reflecting my sisters, you know? <laughs> so I thought I was super smart, but I wasn't. So I had a lot of fun with that. And then I think it just evolved where I began every day. I love being a mom. I had been a nanny before. I loved staying home with my daughters. And when I had a second daughter and third and a, excuse me, third and a fourth, but in those first few years when I learned to kind of creatively write, I so looked forward to nap time and I would do all like my mom chores while they were awake you know they were playing on the floor and I'd be doing dishes or laundry or mm-hmm. um, doing my tasks going to the grocery store and then as soon as they went to sleep I'd pull out my laptop and I'd write for you know two hours during nap time yeah and then they wake up and we go to the park and I make dinner and we'd have bath time and go for a walk and I loved the time with them because as soon as I put them to bed at, you know 7 30 I'd have four or five hours to write to write yeah and I didn't have a spouse at the time I mean I had a spouse I didn't have a spouse who was at home wanting to hang out and talk. That wasn't our experience together. And so I had a lot of time to myself and I think the writing made it where I enjoyed that time Mm -hmm. as opposed to dreaded it because I heard a lot of comments and people would pull me aside and advise me like, Hey, you're really young. You're marrying, you know, this guy's already graduated medical school and he's a doctor and he's going to be gone a lot. And that's hard. And people had really warned me of this traumatic experiences I was about to endure in residency. (laughs) And I was young. I admit it. Like I was young. I was living cross country, but I had moved a lot as a child. So the move wasn't super unnerving for me in any regard. And I'd been to many schools. So making new friends, not a problem. Right. Um, but being alone was like, Whoa, this is weird. It was honestly just weird more than anything else. Yeah. Again, I feel like my mom taught me that resilience where it didn't, didn't disrupt me. It didn't, right. Didn't disorient me. And that's where I began writing. And it, from that point forward, it kind of never stopped. If I was at home and my children were asleep, I was inevitably writing. Yeah. And I also love to craft and sew and create physically, but I did most of that. Like I remember I sewed all my girls' hair ribbons. Like I'd make the bows and I would sew hand puppets and I would sew dresses mm-hmm. and aprons and all these like s- small things because I was never patient enough to be an actual seamstress. <laughs> <laughs> if I couldn't do it in like an hour, yeah. my patience simmered and I was it. done. But I loved doing that while they were awake. And then as soon as my children were asleep, I would go into this, these other worlds and just build and create and just have a lot of fun with it. And yeah. most importantly, it made me feel not alone during those years where I physically was very isolated. Yeah. And that's when I learned that I liked those hours to myself. And I had never experienced that, as I said, as a twin, someone who's always right. shared a room, always traveled with someone, always had someone attached yeah. to me in a good way, which I love. But I never in my life had an experience where I was physically alone. And with a lot of time to myself, I know yeah. my babies were sleeping, but they were, they don't really count. Well, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> They're and not it's, interacting. It's, and it's, I think it's like, as to note for those of the listeners who aren't a mom and don't understand what that's like, mm-hmm. it's really hard to have hobbies that you can't pick up and put down at will. Right. I love that. And you yeah. need, you need something for yourself always, mm-hmm. but you need something that you can modify mm-hmm. to be, I mean, a sewing project is great but then do you leave it on the table? Right. Do you, you know, do you have a sewing room? Like right. that's a luxury. Right. People. Right. And so, <laughs> you know, writing, I think is one of those things where if you had your laptop or a pad of paper and mm-hmm. a pen, you could get it down on I paper agree. Yeah. and, and you could get it down in 30 minutes and re-edit, mm-hmm. or you could get it, you know, five minutes in the baby's backup, you know, like yeah. rough days included in there that it's, you can, it'll I've, hold until funny, you're I've never even thought about that, but that's absolutely true. It had like a lot of mobility to it. Yeah. And I could take it anywhere. And most importantly, I could do it when I wasn't doing it. I could think, I mean, I remember mm-hmm. like feeding my girls dinner and I would sing, like, I always love to sing songs. I don't know why, <laughs> because I think I made them as tone deaf as I am. <laughs> I should have sung no songs it's and let totally them like creative. listen to music. It's the, it's the creative winds are blowing <laughs> and We had way. so many songs and I've, yeah, but I would also just think a lot. I just spent a lot of time in a quiet house taking care of little kids thinking. And I I enjoyed the mothering duties. I feel really lucky that way. I didn't suffer from a postpartum depression. I didn't suffer from anxiety. I I really enjoy, and I do enjoy the mothering. Mm -hmm. I liked bathing that night. I liked singing songs. I loved reading stories and reading books. But it was also not a lot of emotional and intellectual stimulation, which I did miss because I had kind of flown through college and I wasn't, my friends were still in college when I had a baby. Yeah. And I sought after the learning experience that I really missed. And that's what I missed most about having done that was, so I loved reading and I loved researching and those two things. In addition to the writing, I did a lot alone a lot. And I I spent a lot of time reading and researching. Yeah. You know, this was back when the library still existed, checking out, you know, (laughs) books. And I'd always read encyclopedias. I'd been fat enough, 
fascinated by my grandma's like multiple atlases. Yes. I, I just couldn't get enough of knowledge, you could yes. say. And not that I profess to be absorbing all of it, but I love to learn about it and take right. notes and research yeah. it. And Well, I think that's all of that, that was interesting in the modern day, like mm-hmm. being well-read or well-educated. Right. You have to retain everything. Right. And you have the twin who does retain everything. Does retain everything. I know. But, but at the She's same time, she can also, I mean, she, like I retain a lot. I just can't sift it and actually cut, have it come right. out of my mouth in an orderly fashion. No, she fashion. can process and articulate instantly. But at the same time, I feel like you also got the, I mean, cause you love to read. You mm-hmm. always were, uh, I mean, like, let's find out about this. If you're curious enough, you can, right. you know, figure out a way. And before internet kids, this is, I mean, you had to go to the encyclopedia. That was your primary source. Literally right. a physical primary Book. source was your, Yes, that was what you had as well, an option. And like, I remember my grandma's house, she had, she had been a teacher before she raised six children on a farm. So she was a voracious reader and her house was oh, full of books. Yeah. And she had so many collections of encyclopedias. And one thing Danielle and they I... they changed. They, they changed. It's not the internet, and guys. And no, I loved as a kid, we thought it was so funny to look at the same word. Imagine the word whale in one encyclopedia from 1975. You know, and we'd go back and look at the word whale from the encyclopedia collection from 1952. And it's so interesting to compare and how what information clearly we had a lot of fun growing up (laughs) (laughs) reading encyclopedias encyclopedias. sign me up kids don't get to do that now no you don't have that privilege and it's not it's not the comparison it's how did that comparison evolve right what what science existed or was or what knowledge what knowledge was if the boats could even get to the whale right i mean like when we designated this particular whale had we ever studied it or had we just right. heard about it or did we just see it once mm-hmm. was it this like ghost of yeah, a whale was it like you know? Dick, you yes know? <laughs> it's like never spoken of yes and so I think we lose despite how much knowledge we have accessible on wikipedia and on our phones and I feel as though we l- lose a core component of acquiring knowledge which is seeking it out yourself finding it yeah yeah well and I love that because I feel like this has been our COVID has been our chance to mm-hmm. redo that all of the things you wondered about, right? And yes, yeah. we do have stuff at our fingertips, which does make part of the process easier, but it's where your thoughts lead after that. Right. You know, do you let that take you to a place of wandering and wonderment? Right. Or do you realize like, oh, that's nice. And then you move on, mm-hmm. you know, like maybe you need to be delving into things that actually pique your curiosity more. You know, you that. actually need to be going down those rabbit holes mm-hmm. and figuring it out. And yes, it's, it's quicker now because you don't have to go find somebody right. with an encyclopedia first right and, or find some you know I remember firsthand knowledge of hearing stories from somebody who was in World War II mm-hmm. right and those were different stories right. than you hear in your history books or read right. in a newspaper or any right. of that and so we have more resources at our fingertips that we're not letting them drive our curiosity I love that and I feel like maybe that's a solution to some of the because I feel like my children need to know how to navigate screens. They need to know how to deal with them. They mm-hmm. need to know Absolutely. what tools they can be. But if we're not allowing them to go down those rabbit holes. Yeah. Well, how do we even allow our kids and enable them to find what interests them? Right. Well, especially if, when they're bombarded uh, with information. All of the options. Well, when you look at Wikipedia, how do you differentiate one article from the next? Right. I mean, how does one really reflect an interest? It might not, it might just reflect, it might just, oftentimes for me, I just am curious. I want to know the answer. Right. I don't necessarily want to it's learn about end, it. Yeah. It's the end goal. It's, it's the, impatience. Yes. And I want to, whereas I might be better off spending more time researching fewer, fewer things, fewer things and taking greater care to actually understand the context behind them and yeah. the history with the top of the topic. Um, and not just being so impatient and answer oriented. I want to actually learn, whereas learn. our kids yeah. are just taught to find answers. Yes, it's it's not a rope system. Right. It should be right. more of a, a process. Well, a process. Yes. Wonderful. Okay. <laughs> so you started out. Nap time was your writing right, time. Right. 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 And so then, then tell me, tell me from then to now. Oh goodness. In, okay. In, you know, just like a. Quick I think I just, a quick summary, but I just kept at it. I just kept writing. I, the more I did it, the more it became just a part of my routine. And it, like I said, it reached a point, well, 
it reached a point where every day I would write, period. Yeah. Multiple hours a day. And I, I, I did have them. Even with three little kids at home, they still had nap time. They still had, no matter how chaotic the day was, I yeah. still had, you know, a 7, 30, 8 o'clock bedtime, even though I had one daughter who still has night terrors. But <laughs> that's beside the point. That's fine. You can actually still write through a night terror. I, I know. Imagine that. Yeah. Just put your headphones on. So... I just continued to write and certain stories, like the story that became Girl From Nowhere, just stuck with me the most. And it was the most interesting research. It was the most interesting. I had the most fun with it. Yeah. Other other stories I would work on, I'd reach a point where it began to felt like a lot of work. Mm -hmm. And because I wasn't writing professionally and I wasn't writing for anyone but myself, I had the freedom to say, I'm not writing to torture myself. I'm writing because this is fun and therapeutic. Right. And I always joked with my husband, it was, I wrote because my children would do nothing I say, and yet I can make my characters do anything I say. <laughs> See, there you go. It's like it's this like, total control. It's a coping mechanism. <laughs> it's a coping <laughs> mechanism for having lots of young kids at home. So, but I just kept, no matter what else I wrote, this, I just circled back to this one story. And so I just kept working on that one story. But I think different moments you feel differently about certain stories and some you know, you kind of have a heightened sense of curiosity about. And so I kind of rotate among several stories. And then once I decided to pursue publication on Girl From Nowhere, I really focused on that. And when I was in a down cycle of that, like if it was with my editor, you know, when I was getting an agent, I would focus on other material, but I knew I wanted to debut with this book because I feel like it most reflects the topics that are interesting to me. Yeah. I'd always been fascinated by um, like retro spy thrillers. And I remember I was like 10 or 11 years old and I read all the Tom Clancy's, which I read them now and they're like almost painful to read, but they're they're so, it's like they're tedious, but but rewarding. Yes. And other books are less tedious, but not as rewarding. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of a chore, but I, I loved them and I, I loved the way he went into the detail and the description. And I hope it's less tedious than Tom Clancy is, but, but I can't like thank him enough because he taught me like reading Clancy taught me how to develop and integrate a spy thriller. Yeah. And then there are some like John Le Carre and Frederick Forsyth and um, Robert Ludlum and all these other authors have really done a great job of that. And so I just gravitated toward that genre. So I prioritized my time with the manuscript that would become Girl From Nowhere. Yeah. But I ultimately, it wasn't the manuscript itself. It was just the time spent writing was most valuable to me. So even if I was on a different material, and I spent a lot of time working on this other material for my great-grandmother's story, and I, I, I was, it was a great, like, change of pace, but mm-hmm. my passion and priority was still with Girl From Nowhere. Awesome. So I just kept writing. Yeah. It's like, and you know, it's funny, people ask, like, they'll say the word, you're an author, and it's so funny, because I don't feel, I don't feel about myself that way. I don't feel my, how do I say that? <laughs> I feel as though I'm a reader, and yeah. I also write. Yeah. I like, I, I first and foremost consider myself a reader, and then I'm a writer. Which because, is amazing. Well, I, I, I like to write because I like to read. I don't want to read. I don't want to write just because I want to write. Right. I want to read, and as a reader, I want to be entertained, and I appreciate that other authors write so I can be entertained or informed or inspired. Yes. Yeah. So I consider myself a reader first and an author second. I love that. Yeah. I absolutely love that. Okay, so if you don't know. Tiffany wrote Girl From Nowhere, and it's awesome. I mean, I had my boys read it, and then they were so excited to talk to their friends about it, and they are, like, totally sold. So if you have any person under the age of 100 in your life that's a reader or just needs, like, a good book to read, go pick up Girl From Nowhere. It's wherever you can buy books. Well, right now, it's it depends, I guess, when we air this episode, but... Yeah, that's true. It's, it's out of stock on Amazon. It'll be back in stock It'll soon. It'll be back in stock and soon. They're available at our local bookstore, King's English. Yes, oh, which I so. love. Okay, and Tiffany has offered to read us <laughs> a portion of her book, which I'm so thrilled about. So I'm just going to let her have the mic, and she's going to read her one of her snippets that she loves from the book. Yeah, this is just a fun little section. Um, I might even just read the very back cover first, and I'll give a little brief, brief uh, tale of the book. It's young adult fiction. And it exists in a hyper-reality. It's supposed to be fun, and um, it's just supposed to be entertaining, I would say, with a little, with a little bit of a retro spy I thriller. So love, like, I'm the so goal, excited The for goal of this book for people to just enjoy reading it. It's yes. not supposed to teach you a lesson or, I mean, I'd hope my girls would pick up a lesson or two, but not, not your average reader. <laughs> so I'll read the back cover first. It says this, just like that, it was over. 
18 months of running, hiding, chasing, fearing, over. Now I'm returning to normalcy like it never happened. Like it's easy to make friends. Easy to forget how I lived every minute in fear that they would find us. That he would find me. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Now I'm going to skip ahead just to the, um, this is just, it's the girl, the main character, Sophia Hepworth. In fact, I might even, if we have time, I might just read the front flap. Perfect. I'll Do just it. read the front flap so yeah. you know what it's about before I go into this little scene. 94 countries, 31 schools, two bullets, now it's over. Or so she thinks. Sophia Hepworth has spent her life all over the world, moving quickly, never staying in one place for too long. She knows to always look over her shoulder to be able to fight to survive at a moment's notice. She is trained to be ready for anything, except this. Suddenly it's over. Now Sophia is expected to attend high school in a sleepy Montana town. She is told to forget the past, but she's haunted by it. As hard as she tries to be like her new friends and live a normal life, she can't shake the feeling that this new normal won't last. Then comes strong and silent Axel, whose skills match Sophia's and who seems to know more about her than he's letting on. What if everything Sophia thought she knew about her past is a lie? Now, Sophia, I'm going to skip ahead here and just read a small excerpt. Sophia is in this small Montana town, and she's kind of coping with some flashbacks. So this is one of them. My father moved for me. Gripping my arm, we dashed from midship to bow. Sophia, you need to go below, he said. Below decks, I asked, frightened, glancing back at my mother. Below the surface, Sophia, into the water. It's warm. Hold tight to the anchor chain and hold your breath. Count, honey. Count to 100. That's it. But don't break the surface. They can't see you, Sophia. Do you understand? No bubbles. You have to stay hidden, and that's the only place. Now go. While he said this, I heard a boat cruising toward us. Its engine idled a few seconds before bumping into the fiberglass hull on the starboard side. An anchor was thrown over. It landed on the deck, meters from where we crouched, concealed under a cover of the mainsail. My father took my wrist. Go now, Sophia. Do not break the surface until I come for you, he whispered, scrambling away. Gunfire erupted. Raspy voices shouted. I wanted to return to the cabin and stay beside my parents. Instead... I crawled to the front of the boat and slid over the edge. Huddling near the anchor at the bow, I, I hunched over and watched through a scupper. Four armed men with bandanas covering their faces leaped onto our catch. Once they boarded, I followed orders. I slid into the ocean, took several deep breaths of air, then submerged, using the anchor chain to descend three meters underwater. At first, I floated idly beneath the surface. After 70 seconds, I grew anxious. With every passing second, I gripped the chain tighter, swaying with the formidable current, trying to not let go. It was dark all around me and so deep I heard nothing from the surface. I felt only the pulsing of my heart and the aching burn of my lungs. But my father had told me to wait. So I held there, suspended between the black abyss beneath and the danger above. I pressed my lips together so they wouldn't open. I clung to the anchor chain because that was my link to survival. The next thing I remember was an arm fastening around my waist. He pulled me to the surface. Choking out water, I gasped for air. My father swam us to the stern, grabbed hold of the ladder, and in one motion pulled me out of the water. Is she hurt, Kent? My mother cried, dropping onto the deck. My father placed both hands on my heaving shoulders and smiled at me. No, he said softly. She did great. Then he hugged me so tightly I thought my lungs would collapse. Over his shoulder, I saw four bloodied bodies floating in the water, face down. Oh, my gosh, guys. It's so good. You have to get it. It's so good. <laughs> Thank you, yes. Sarah. Um, okay. Everybody go buy the book because it's amazing. <laughs> and you will not regret it. Thank you. And buy a copy for any kid you know. <laughs> it's just that good. It's so good. Um Okay. Well, thank you so much for coming today. I know that this thank is you for having like me. right during busy time. It's for fantastic. You, it's so fun to chat. Creativity. Oh, it's and... so much fun to chat with you and actually have a chance to chat because usually we have children running around saying, amazing. Hey, mom, 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 <laughs> I need this. Mom, mom, watch uh, me do this. So thank you so much for coming. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it.
Okay, it was truly a pleasure to have Tiffany in my home to uh, record her and to get um, to hear about all of her creative process and how she came to be an author. And I really feel like she's an inspiring individual in that she really just started doing something that she personally found enjoyment in. It wasn't intended to be a shared resource. It's not, it wasn't intended to be an outward expression at all. It just simply was a, began as a hobby and she has really progressed in her confidence level in sharing that as well as encouraging others to find that in themselves and just find something that you take enjoyment or even, or just entertaining yourself with. So. A few takeaways that I took from our conversation are one, remember what lights you up and then do it. Be diverse or even just follow a single course to see where it takes you just for the fun of it. You don't have to actually plan to be good at it or plan to exhibit it in any way to anyone else. It can literally just be for you. Number two, make times for things that you love. So make time for something that you can do in those moments that you snag for yourself. And maybe it's snagging some more time for yourself by getting up earlier, staying up later, or, you know, working into nap time so that, you know, your working schedule and your nap time is is kind of something that you can I don't know, find for yourself. So make time for the things that you love in the time you make for yourself. Number three, just because you are unfamiliar with a process, it has nothing to do with trying it out for your own personal entertainment. So just because, you know, Tiffany didn't intend to write a book doesn't mean that it's not going to lead to a book if she occupies her time with writing. So just because you are unfamiliar with a process or a game or a sport or, um, or something you've always wanted to try, it doesn't mean anything. It, it literally just means, okay, you're going to try it out. And that's going to be a process in and of itself. And if you find enjoyment, then continue. It's, it's a really great lesson for all of us. So thank you, Tiffany, for coming on. I appreciate your insight. And um, again, buy her book, Girl From Nowhere, anywhere, anywhere books are sold. So I will include those links and go ahead and look that up. This podcast is fueled by my family's mission for play at the Oliver Fund. The Oliver Fund sends playthings to children in hardship all over the world, including now right in our own community. Because we believe to have the ability to work hard, there is value in playing well. You can find out more online at theoliverfund.org or find us on social media at The Oliver Fund and at Art of Play Podcast. If you loved this episode, please will you do me a favor and go to Apple Podcasts and write a review or share with a friend you think would love it. The more the word gets out, the more we are able to share our playful message with others. Here's to leaving you, to your weekend, a little more hopeful and hopefully more happily playful, if only for five minutes.